This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 28, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The Jones Act has been around for nearly 100 years, and it's raised prices and harmed the U.S. economy and provided few of its promised benefits along the way. Dan Eikenson is co-author of a new Cato paper, The Jones Act, a burden America can no longer bear. The United States has had the Jones Act for 100 years. Just about. The Merchant Marine Act of 1920 sponsored by Senator Wesley Jones of Washington State. Uh, It was in response to what was perceived as unpreparedness for World War I, even though the war had been going on a few years before uh, we got involved. Um, Jones wanted to make sure that we had uh, sea lift capacity and uh, plenty of ships and shipbuilding capacity and and ready merchant marines to stand by to assist in times of national emergencies. So his law was intended to encourage domestic shipbuilding, and he did it in a protectionist way. So he said, the law says that uh, cabotage, which is transporting goods from port to port, uh, is restricted to ships that are U.S. built, U.S. owned, U.S. flagged, and U.S. staffed. And as a result of that, um, other, you know, f- anything that's foreign, any ships that are foreign cannot participate in this kind of commerce. As a result, as you would imagine, if you limit the supply of a service, uh, then the price of that service is going to go up. And ship builders, instead of responding in a way that Wesley Jones may have thought they would, uh, did what the textbooks tell you they will do, and that is they rested on their laurels, they saw no competition, they didn't innovate. And it turns out today, the cost of a ship, an average uh, seagoing ship, ocean-going vessel, is six to seven times more expensive in the United States than it is on the world market. So what that has done is U.S. companies who ha- that have purchased these U.S.-built ships are on the hook. They've spent a lot of money on their ships, so they have to charge very high rates. And they don't want competition from companies that can buy ships at the world market price. So they're on board with preserving the Jones Act. So there's this uh, very pernicious alliance between uh, the ship shipping companies and the, and the ship builders. How much shipping is done intrastate via boat uh, around the United States? Very little. Something like 2% of our shipping because of these restrictions is, is done in the ocean, whereas 40% in Europe where they allow uh, cabotage among the member states. So you could imagine uh, some shipping between Texas and Florida that is is being done one way now that might be much more competitive mm-hmm. uh, to do in a different way. And of course, we have a huge uh, ocean front facing uh, parts of the United States that might prefer to ship differently. So so tally so beginning to tally up the cost, just the economic costs mm-hmm. of the Jones Act, where where should we start? <laughs> well, let's start with the the shipping rates, the shipping rates themselves. They, they are much higher because of the cost of shipping, because of the the operational costs. US crews are very expensive, you know, they're they're unionized, they get all the bells and whistles. Um that's just that's just the primary effect. But so what what does this do? If you have d- demand for shipping products in the United States, you say, well, I'll, I'll go to rail or trucks. 
So you look at I-95 on the East Coast or I-5 on the West Coast, congested with 18-wheelers all the time. And a lot of that cargo could be moved on the water and should be moved on the water. In fact, uh, the environmental costs of switching from uh, ocean-going vessels to trucks and rail are considerable uh, in, in, you know, in the billions of dollars per year because uh, ocean, uh, uh, ships emit the, the least amount of carbon, uh, trains the next, and the trucks are the most significant emitters of, of carbon dioxide. And the planes do a little bit more, but not a lot of uh, cargo is shipped by planes because of the Jones Act, except if you're in a place like Hawaii uh, and you need to get something uh, to the United States. We have this, uh, Colin Graybaum, one of the co-authors of this paper we've, we're doing, my colleague, uh, has found that the cattle ranchers in Hawaii have been putting their cows on planes uh, because it's cheaper to get them to the continental United States. That seems <laughs> highly unlikely, right? In a, in a market environment, that seems like that's not how that would happen. It, it's not supposed to happen. It's, interestingly, Hawaii and Alaska and Puerto Rico and other U.S. territories are most adversely affected by this because they can't really substitute to trucking or, or rail. Uh, but the entire congressional delegation from Hawaii and the entire congressional delegation from Alaska is on board with the, the Jones status quo. And, and there's even one other point to raise here. The, there's a law in Alaska, which Colin came across, that requires the governor to lobby Congress for Jones Act repeal. That's, in, that's, that's one of their laws in the state of Alaska. So I guess he doesn't know that he's breaking the law by remaining silent. So in terms of shipping, it raises shipping costs. It raises the price of ships. And it makes shipping relatively less flexible uh, in the sense that, well, yeah, maybe I could take this ship and go to Mexico, back to Florida, et cetera. But because of the restrictions, because I've spent so much on this ship, I'm going to go exclusively between Puerto Rico and the U.S. or Florida and Texas or my routes are defined. They're defined and there's no competition, right? The, the foreign ships can't do cabotage. They can't go to to port to port in the U.S. They can go to one port, but they can't go to the next port. They can't pick up cargo and go to the next port. Um, but so the, the, those costs and then the transportation costs associated with, um, you know, higher trucking rates and higher rail rates. Then there's the environmental costs. It's the, the, you know, the carbon emissions, things like that. There's also the lost wages and output of people uh, wasting time in traffic. There's a lot of traffic. And I've seen uh, we, we, some of the studies we've looked at show something like 100 to 200 billion dollars a year of lost wages and output in uh, because of traffic. Now, some portion of that is attributable to the Jones Act. There are also lost revenues to U.S. businesses who can't even uh, engage in interstate commerce. A hog farmer in North Carolina, for example, finds it more efficient, more affordable to import grain for his hogs from Canada or Brazil than from Iowa because of the cost of Jones Act barges coming down the Mississippi River. Um, so, and on top of that, U.S. exporters could have many more sales abroad, but foreign governments are less willing to open up certain parts of their markets that are currently closed because they've been demanding that the U.S. Uh, repeal or reform the Jones Act for years. They want to compete in this market. And because we've been unwilling to do that, 
they're unwilling to open their markets, and that's coming at a, at, a, at an opportunity cost to uh, to the U.S. economy. And we are we've set our sights on estimating what those costs will be, and we think that they're in the you know high tens of billions of dollars a year. So you, you when you think about the deregulation of shipping that occurred in the late 1970s, that was rail and trucking. Mm-hmm. The Jones Act almost seems like the th- the forgotten third part of that deregulation of shipping that occurred. Right. Um, uh, I spoke to Peter Van Doren about the deregulatory record of Jimmy Carter right. and how strong it was. Uh, Peter pointed to some research that said, you know, those d- two deregulations of – and they, I guess, d- deregulated air travel as well. Yeah, yep. um, but those two deregulations of shipping are still contributing – uh, a not insignificant amount of GDP growth every year. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, transportation is uh, a component of the price of everything that we purchase, everything tangible at least. Everything that is on a retail store shelf had to get there somehow. And, uh, you know, the fact that trucking and rail got more competitive uh, has helped to moderate final prices, transportation costs, and as, as they're reflected in final prices. But the Jones Act's persistence uh, has at least enabled it, – it, it has precluded or retarded the, uh, the positive effects of trucking and rail deregulation because they're, they're able to raise their, raise their prices as a result of this. So um, there are all sorts of downstream in- interests that are adversely affected by this, including the retailers. And beyond that, there are the infrastructure costs, for example – um, you know, we just widened the Panama Canal, finished the project a couple of years ago to get these wide post-Panamax cargo ships through. In the United States, only seven of 44 ports on the East Coast and Gulf Coast are deep enough to accommodate these ships. They need to be dredged. And there's really just one dredging company in the United States that does the, the uh, seaports. And it's telling all the, all the ports to wait in line. And the Jones Act affects uh, dredging. Because when you dredge something, you're, you're, you're collecting what's called valueless material, putting it in the dredge, and you have to dump it. You dump it out you know, a couple miles out at sea. But doing that, you're moving valueless cargo, silt, from a port out to the ocean, and that puts you within the jurisdiction of the Jones Act. So there, that, those types of projects are nipped in the bud. We're, you know, Trump's been talking about a $1 trillion infrastructure project. Um, that is going to – the persistence of the Jones Act will make sure that the, that $1 trillion of spending will get us just a couple hundred billion dollars worth of infrastructure. The Jones Act, is it fair to say that it left Puerto Rico ill-prepared to deal with a substantial natural disaster? And it certainly contributed to their economic woes, but uh, nailing down uh, what those costs are and – you know, perhaps how many deaths could be attributed to th- those kinds of restrictions pro- is probably difficult to get at. Yeah, kind of macabre, but but you're sh- but absolutely, um, there is a, there's a link. Um, the Jones Act we, we gets attention when there are natural disasters, hurricanes, and oil spills, and things like that. I mean, just think about it. There was demand for so many supplies in Puerto Rico last year, but only a, f- a few ships that could that could do it, that could. Uh, be, be put into service. Uh, Trump did grant a 10-day waiver, but you know you have to realize when when uh, the president is approached with waiver requests for the Jones Act, 
the Jones Act defenders, even if it's a humanitarian situation, are out there lobbying, saying, no, no, don't give in. You can't give in. You need to preserve this. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's their life's mission to preserve this, uh, this um, you know, very costly um, provision. And they, 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 they justify it on national security grounds. I think it makes our national security, it imperils our national security because we, we don't really have a ready force. For all of our military deployments, we've depended heavily on, on foreign uh, flagged vessels to get our, our materiel to, uh, to, to where it needed to be. And um, this just needs to go away. It's a trade restriction exclusively on Americans in a sense. I mean, I guess it, it impacts trade elsewhere, but it is a, it is a profound yeah. Uh, effect a profound trade restriction among Americans. Yes, just like just like tariffs, or just like the Buy American provisions. Uh, you know, it it limits the supply of something, and uh, you know, and then you look at all these spillover effects that we've, that we just discussed: the infrastructure, the environmental costs, the lost wages, the lost sales. Uh, people don't see it. You know, it's just another classic example of how protectionism sort of manifests itself in an insidious way. You see the top. The, the, you're supposed to say, "Hey, here's the protected industry, and look how well it's doing." But even in this case, that protected industry is is teetering. We referred to this sort of obliquely, but the foreign ships can come to a port in the U.S., but they cannot then go to other ports. They can go to another port, but they can't pick up cargo, uh, so they can't participate in the domestic uh, commerce. They can't pick up cargo in Boston and take it to Philadelphia. So They so can they drop off in Boston and Philly. So they can't make full use of their ships if they're dealing with the United States. Exactly. There's, there's, there's a capacity utilization issue issue here. So they, if they bring stuff to the United States, they, they drop it off in one place or they drop another a portion in Philadelphia, another portion in Boston and some in, in, in Charleston. But each stop, they have more open, unused capacity, and that, that's, that's, there's a cost to that. So that it's more presumably some of those uh, benefits of uh, protection that are delivered to U.S. shippers mm-hmm. uh, might, uh, if taken away, might be realized in lower prices for goods that Americans bring in from overseas, just by virtue of the fact that the shipping has, has dramatically come down in cost because the shippers who are foreign can recoup a lot of the cost of shipping by shipping other things yes. intrastate right. or interstate. Yeah. No, it's like, you know, you take a, a taxi from uh, Virginia to Washington and he can't pick anybody up in Washington, but needs to go back to Virginia to pick somebody up. Uh, I remember are, those days. Yes. Um, so, you mean pre-Uber? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, we, we need competition and we need... Uh, you know, so the Europeans, the, first of all, the Koreans and the Chinese produce something like 70,000 gross tons of, of ships per year. We're at less than 1% or about 1% of that. We're way down the list. Uh, so if if the Jones Act was designed to, f- you know, foster this this robust industry, um, you know, we fall, every year we're falling further and further behind. Dan Eikenson is co-author of The Jones Act, A Burden America Can No Longer Bear, out now from the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.